0: We're on the menu. The rights of the people are on the menu. We must expand the court.
1: Or go to a different restaurant. That sounds terrible. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you I am From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN And Eureka's KGOE In Oregon on the Central Coast On KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO Eugene's KEPW Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's. AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Glad to have you all here. And, uh, okay, we will be joined shortly... By one of my favorite members of Congress, actually, with a uh, who has a bill to yes expand the size of the U.S. Supreme Court, and not a moment too soon. In fact, he's had this bill for about a year, and uh, are Democrats in Congress other than him and a few others paying attention? We will find out because he has that bill and several others for some much-needed reforms for the United States Supreme Court. So
2: court reform might be on the menu.
1: That would be nice, wouldn't it? Hi, yeah, Des. hi. That's our uh, delightful producer, Desi Doyan. <laughs> okay, quickly, uh, first, before we speak with the congressmen, uh, voters are heading to the polls on Thursday. Yes, Thursday, in the volunteer state. That would be the great state of Tennessee, where apparently they really, really don't want voters to turn out for primary elections. It is bad enough that most of the country tends to vote on Tuesdays, which is a work day for most people. But in Tennessee, they're voting on Thursday. Really? Why Thursday? Well, if you don't want people to notice there's an election, running it on a Thursday is a really nice way to do it. True. True. And we know that they do hate their voters in Tennessee because years ago, when the state legislature had a Democratic majority, they adopted legislation to move the entire state to hand-marked paper ballots, as most of the state at the time was uh, forcing voters to use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. But in that same year, I think it was 2008, With a blue wave election uh, that brought Barack Obama to office and a lot of Democrats to the U.S. House and Senate, and it shifted a number of state legislatures from red to blue. Well, that year, Tennessee, for some reason, with their 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, was the only state to see its state legislature go from blue to red for some reason. Don't know why. I guess that's how the voters voted. I guess. Who knows? They have uh, unverifiable voting systems there, so we just have to presume that was the case. And then when the Republicans took over control, they quickly worked to reverse the paper ballot mandate that had been adopted by Democrats. Thus, Tennessee, to this day, remains one of the worst states in the nation for verifiable voting. And much of the state, by the way, has not even updated their decade-plus old direct-recording electronic touchscreen voting systems. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, they're still using those. They're still Um, using,
2: like, what, Windows 2008 or something?
1: um, I don't even think it was 2008 (laughs) at the time, actually. It might be uh, Windows 2000. Oh, my. So they, they haven't even moved from those in much of the state to the uh, similarly unverifiable but somewhat newer touchscreen ballot marking devices, which act- actually print out a piece of paper with the voters selections on them or what are supposed to be the voters selections. Who knows? Because as studies have found. Few voters actually bother to check their printout, and of those who do, the vast, vast majority, I mean huge majority of them, even when they check those printed out ballots, don't notice when the computer has changed one of their votes. So with all of that in mind, this from the Manchester Times in Coffee County, Tennessee. That's right. Ten- coffee County, Tennessee. Not the same Coffee County that we have reported on in some detail on this program. You may recall several weeks back with Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, her group is suing in Georgia to move that state from 100% unverifiable touchscreen BMDs to hand marked paper ballots. Uh, after her federal lawsuit there successfully banned those terrible old DRE touchscreen systems in the in the state only to see the Secretary of State there Brad Raffensperger force everyone to move to new BMD touchscreens made by Dominion instead of going to handmarked paper ballots well if you recall Coffee County from that story with Marilyn Marks In Georgia. That was Georgia's uh, uh, Coffee County. Okay. I suspect we'll return to that in the future. (laughs) You think? Yeah, well, because there's still a cover-up going on. The Board of of Elections in Coffee County, Georgia, apparently allowed some right-wing MAGA folks to come in secretly and make complete, unlawful copies of the Dominion Voting System software... And the secretary of state, Brand Raffensberger has apparently been helping them to cover that whole thing up ever since. So, again, not that I know anything, but I suspect there will be more on that particular Coffee County story from Georgia. This Coffee County story is from Tennessee. Where voters voted on Thursday, and during early voting, prior to that, we are now learning from the Manchester Times on Wednesday, in a 1 in 4,000 glitch... So not only is this a glitch, Desiree, but it's a one in four thousand glitch. <laughs> How do they know that it's a one in four thousand glitch? Well, keep listening. Uh, in a one in four thousand glitch, one Coffee County early voter's ballot was missing a name when the voter checked the printout to the paper being uh, being scanned and recorded, according to the administer of elections, Andy Farrar. Incidents like these are rare. Oh, are they? Farrar said every time a voter votes, we always ask them to review what prints out of the machine before they cast that ballot. Now, in Coffee County, Tennessee, uh, they use the newer ballot marking device uh, BMD systems, this one made by a company named ES&S, which is the nation's largest and I would argue the worst voting machine uh, company in the nation. But it's a close call. Uh, In that case, you in these uh, particular systems, you select your votes on the touch screen. A ballot prints out supposedly with your selections on it in human readable text and then the ballot uh, and you check it in theory. The ballot then goes into a scanner, another computer and that scanner, by the way, does not actually look at the text that you may or may not have verified, but it reads a barcode representation of your vote that is also printed on that piece of paper. Of course, humans can never verify a barcode, computer barcode, as being accurate uh, when they vote. So the election administrator, Far uh, Farrar, uh, continues, quote, we had one lady when, that when her ballot printed out, one of the selections said no candidate selected. So we voided that ballot, gave her a new one. She went back in and she reviewed it again. Everything was there, he said. Farrar said that the Election Commission does not know the cause of this glitch. Quote, we have not had any other complaints other than that one. Sometimes that happens during elections, he says. It's a touchscreen. It's sensitive. They might touch fully on the person's name and it might not register that. Oh, well. You know how those touchscreens are sensitive. Like when you go to the ATM and you ask for $20 and they give you 200 instead, that happens all the time, right? Because <laughs> it's a touchscreen. They're sensitive. And there's you, nothing you, you, we th- can do. You can't do. do anything about that. No. He said uh, that's why we do the paper ballot printout so they can review
2: <laughs> but they th- can't. before
1: they cast their ballot.
2: But they can't because it's a barcode.
1: It's barcode, and uh, but they did, in this case, review the the human-readable text, and they noticed that there was something different than the voter says that she voted for. Farrar stressed that the situation was not one in which the voter selected one candidate and the machine printed out a different one. It was simply that they selected a candidate, and it said, no selection. Uh, Farrar said, 100%, when that ballot prints out and during the review, just verify that every vote that the voter would like to cast is there. That's all you have to do. He says that's the only one I've uh, I've heard of out of 4,000 people voting during this election. Uh, I guess that's where they get the one in 4,000 glitch comment, apparently. He uh, notes that it does happen once or twice during an election. We have never had one where a machine changed a person's vote. These things are very well tested before the election, he said, and audited afterwards. We take great pride in making sure that every vote for every citizen counts. And I'm sure that, you know, the election officials do take great pride in that. And they do try to make sure that every vote for every citizen counts. But if they were really concerned about that, they would insist on giving voters a hand marked paper ballot for everyone at the polling place. Now, an expert uh, on these systems, on a mailing li- email list that I'm on, uh, vote of uh, you know voting system and cybersecurity experts and so forth pointed out, by definition, it is not true. When uh, Farrar said, "quote We have never had one where a machine changed a person's vote." Uh, fact, she writes, a voter selected someone on the ballot, and the express vote, the ESNS express vote, changed that vote to nobody. She said the effect is the same, a vote not going to the candidate of the voter's choice. One time, she notes, is too many. Now, another expert jumped in to say, well, we don't actually know that the voter's vote ended up showing up as uh, no vote, that in fact the voter might have screwed up, the voter might not have remembered The voter, in fact, might have known they didn't vote and might have been just trying to cause trouble by reporting a problem that did not, uh, you know, that that the machines showed something other than how that voter had voted. So these are just some of the problems that we would not have if they gave their voters hand-marked paper ballots. The uh, uh, administrator Ferrar also said uh, sometimes that happens during elections. It's a touchscreen. It's sensitive. And they minimize and, and then he minimized it as one in a 4000 glitch. But of course, how many times does it happen and nobody notices that it happens because either they don't check that print out or they do check it and they do see it and they think, oh, I made a mistake. It's my fault. Or, yeah, that happened, but it was a race I don't care that much about. I don't want to go through the whole long, complicated process of having to spoil and cancel this ballot and then vote the entire ballot all over and revote everything. In fact, I faced a similar dilemma myself some years ago. I think it was also back in 2008 during a primary out here in California where I voted on one of those systems and the system misprinted four out of 12 of my own votes. And when I happened to notice it, when I happened to look at it and review it carefully and saw that it had misprinted four out of 12 of my own votes, I had to think, well, was this my fault? Did I screw it up? Or is this the computer's fault? Well, as we eventually found out, I did turn it in. And uh, the, the county clerk here, since I'm a guy who covers computers, paid very close attention to this. And actually quarantined that machine, did a study after the election of that machine to try to figure out what went wrong. And it was, in fact, not my fault. It was, in fact, the computer's fault. In fact, it wasn't even the computer's fault. It was the poll worker's fault because the poll worker had punched in the wrong number for the precinct that I was actually voting at. Yeah, see how many complications there are here when we could just use hand-marked paper ballots and avoid all of these nightmares? And I promise, even though I bring them up over and over again, these are not going away. And this is going to get worse and worse, especially with folks on the MAGA right being lied to about these systems, being uh, duped, being groomed into believing that there is a massive conspiracy happening with their voting systems. I promise this is going to get worse and worse. And this is the nightmare that I have so long warned about. We don't know in the case of what happened in Tennessee where they are voting in their primaries, even as we speak. We don't know if if it was a problem with the machines, if the machines were misprogrammed, if they were in error, if someone tried to game the system, if the voter themselves had it wrong. We can't know, all because we use these dumb, stupid, really expensive, 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens for elections in states like Tennessee and Georgia and several others. If you live in a handmarked paper ballot state, uh, you are lucky and we are all going to pay the price uh, of those states that do not Anyway, my ongoing nightmare uh, just continues, (laughs) and I'll share it with you from time to time. Yes, Uh, but it's a reminder
2: to vote on hand-marked paper ballots if you can all manage it. If you can,
1: yeah. If they make you vote on one of these touchscreens at the the polling place, try to vote by mail if you're allowed to do that in your state. So at least you get a hand-marked paper ballot. All right. From that nightmare to another one, a really big one, our corrupted, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court. Georgia's congressman... Hank Johnson, uh, chair of the Judiciary Committee's subcommittee on the courts and his several bills trying to bring some long overdue and much needed reform to our stolen and packed Supreme Court so that we may someday somehow get back to some sanity in this uh, in this country, particularly in the federal judiciary. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. I think we have to move forward in order to get back to where, well, where the founders, I think, intended the Supreme Court to be. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Republicans stole the Supreme Court's majority with Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation completing their crime spree. Now, that, of course, sounds like something that I would say here in the Bradcast, but in fact... That was U.S. Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts last year in April calling for the expansion of the U.S. Supreme Court to include 13 justices instead of the current nine. Markey was announcing the introduction of a new bill that would do just that. As introduced over in the House of Representatives by a number of co-sponsors, including House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerry Nadler of New York and Georgia's Hank Johnson, chair of the Judiciary Subcommittee on Courts, Intellectual Property and the Internet. Of all the damage Donald Trump did to our Constitution, Senator Markey continued at the time, this stands as one of his greatest travesties. Senate Republicans have politicized the Supreme Court, undermined its legitimacy and threatened the rights of millions of Americans, especially people of color, women and our immigrant communities. This legislation, Markey declared, would restore the court's balance and public standing and begin to repair the damage done to our judiciary and democracy. That measure, entitled the Judiciary Act of 2021, was introduced in April of last year as a barely two page long bill with uh, this single simple paragraph reading, quote, Section one of Title 28 United States Code is amended by striking a chief justice of the United States and eight associate justices and any six of whom shall constitute a quorum. And inserting instead, quote, a chief justice of the United States and 12 associate justices, any eight of whom shall constitute a quorum. That's it. That's pretty much the entire bill. Literally one paragraph. It is that simple. There are no other tricks. There are no other complications. The measure was supported at the time it was introduced by a bunch of legal advocacy groups, including the Alliance for Justice, our friends at Free Speech for People, our friends at Public Citizen and Take Back the Court, which has been calling for the expansion of The high court since 2018, not long after then Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell unilaterally nuked the Senate filibuster in order to pack the court with the first of what would be three radical extremist activist appointees of then President Donald Trump with a simple majority vote in the Senate. Yes, the Supreme Court has already been packed now, more than a year later. The Supreme Court has wrapped up its first full term, packed with a newly emboldened activist 6-3 to far-right majority willing to legislate their political priorities from the bench. Their recent actions have represented nothing less than a judicial assault on decades, if not centuries, of court precedent, as I see it. By way of just a few recent examples, they ignored the text of the Second Amendment to overturn more than a century of states' rights to well-regulate firearms. They all but ended decades of well-established Miranda rights for those detained by law enforcement. They further eroded the separation of church and state. They reversed 50 years of constitutional privacy rights and reproductive freedoms to overturn Roe v. Wade. And they gutted the Environmental Protection Agency's decades-long mandate to protect the environment. And they're just getting started. We spoke a week or two ago with Take Back the Court's executive director, Sarah Lipton-Lubet, as the groups supporting the Judiciary Act of 2021 and its co-sponsors in Congress, held a press event outside the U.S. Capitol to once again Rally for the passage of this simple common sense measure in the wake of the radical, not conservative, but radical actions being taken by the high court's packed, stolen and now emboldened right wing majority. Georgia's Hank Johnson and others spoke at the event with the congressman from Georgia, citing the unmistakable warnings being augured by the court's recent rulings at the end of this year's term in June.
0: There are alarm bells that are clanging. If you listen carefully, you should be able to hear them. They herald a Supreme Court that is at crisis with itself and with our democracy. It is a Supreme Court where basic freedoms are under assault. You can see that we're in trouble on the United States Supreme Court for the next generation and with a session that we just came out of, their first session together with the decimation to the rights of people that they have inflicted upon us, we don't have a generation to wait to reform the court we're on the menu, the rights of the people are on the menu and these justices will be here for a long time we can't vote them out And so what do we have to do? We must expand the court.
1: We're on the menu, recalling, at least for me, that famous Twilight Zone episode where a book written by aliens from another planet titled To Serve Man turned out to be a cookbook. Clearly, this nation's founders did not write our Constitution with the same aim in mind, At least I don't think they did anyway. Joining us now is Congressman Hank Johnson of Georgia's 4th Congressional District, who has also within the past week introduced yet another bill for Supreme Court reform that would place term limits on sitting justices. Congressman, I think we haven't spoken since uh, mid-2020 or so, though it's been a pretty slow news year or two since then anyway. Welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
3: Yeah, it's been pretty slow, Brad, (laughs) so that's why I decided to get to work and uh, try to bring some reforms to our court system, starting with the United States Supreme Court itself. But I tell you, uh, thinking about the old uh, Twilight Zone episode Uh, and how there was uh, irony
1: uh,
3: that was uh, implanted into those... uh, into those stories, and they would leave you with a with a, a smile, uh-huh. but also some concern. Uh, I guess we're in times now where there, there are no smiles; it's just uh, straight out concern yeah. and alarm about where we're headed as a as a country. Yeah,
1: which is why I'm so uh, appreciative that you have been trying anyway to sound the alarm bell. Uh, before we talk about the uh, judicial uh, judicial act. And, uh, you know, its progress or arguably lack thereof, because it was introduced over a year ago. Let me just be clear here, Congressman. Is there any obstacle at all in the U.S. Constitution? Any restrictions at all on what Congress could do on its own with simple legislation? Uh, you know, as opposed to a constitutional amendment, when it comes to the structure of the Supreme Court, changing its size, the number of seats, etc., or is that entirely up to Congress and, I guess, the President?
3: There's no constitutional impediment to Congress even taking away or granting more jurisdiction to the United United States Supreme Court. So we can decide, actually... The types of cases that the Supreme Court is authorized hmm. to uh, hear and decide. And so the size of the Supreme Court has been adjusted uh, six times in the history of this country, six or seven times. The last time was in 1869, uh, and it uh, adjusted the Supreme Court up to its current uh, nine member mm-hmm. um, size. Mm-hmm but uh, there is nothing that would stop the legislative branch in the Constitution from taking the Supreme Court down to one person Mm. or elevating it up to 35 people, for instance. Mm. Uh, So 13 is the number that uh, Senator Markey and I arrived at when we introduced uh, the Judiciary Act of 2021. And that would allow us to rebalance from this current 6-3 uh, right-wing, right-wing extremist majority mm-hmm. that was packed by Mitch McConnell, uh, Donald Trump, and the Federalist Society.
1: Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, you say the last time uh, that the, uh, the size of the court was changed was uh, about 100 years ago, but in fact, Mitch McConnell changed the size of the court for... More than a full year by refusing to uh, seat a new justice after the death of Antonin Scalia. Uh, Congressman, I'm interested. You mentioned that Congress could authorize the type of cases that the Supreme Court can hear. I, I wasn't planning to ask you about that, but that sparks my interest. What, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, it means that the Congress has authority to decide the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. There's nothing in the Constitution that grants uh, the Supreme or, or that limits mm-hmm. the legislature's ability to adjust the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. So, you know, we can change the court in fundamental ways. Mm-hmm. It's not wise to do so. We do want to have a highest court in the land that decides the most important issues of the day. And by the way, uh, this current configuration of the court decides about uh, 100 cases uh, a year. Mm -hmm. It decides to grant certiorari Mm -hmm. on about 100 cases a year. We have 50,000 cases being decided by the courts of appeals. Mm -hmm. And uh, to get to a point where the Supreme Court can simply decide to ignore all of the cases that it wants to ignore uh, by failing or refusing to grant certiorari, mm-hmm. and then deciding to cherry pick cases that have been inserted into the legal pipeline by activists yep. who are intent on getting their way in the United States the State Supreme Court, and these are the same activists that have these Supreme Court justices traveling to uh, locations, uh, exotic locations, sometimes always opulent uh, locations, to be uh, wined and dined and housed in uh, five-star hotels, to, to deliver a speech to the assembled audience, who happened to be stakeholders in one position or the other that yep. they want to assert into the court and have the court decided their way. Um, this is this is the system that we have now, with the court being able to select a few cases in, in the pipeline for that pipeline to be packed with issues that are ripe for these right-wing justices who've mm. been carefully indoctrinated during their law school years in federalist society free market thinking Uh, they have gotten the jobs uh, with the law firms and with the prosecutors offices that put them on a track to be nominated by a republican uh, to a judgeship and they preside over the judgeship and then they get elevated to the united states supreme court after being recommended by the federal by the same Federalist society that indoctrinated them from law school all the way and uh and mm-hmm. secured the job for them. And so these justices are primed to rule uh in favor of the right wing capitalist free market capitalist interest that put them uh in the pipeline. Okay. So it's it's a Corrupt system that we have at this point, and Congress definitely is in in position to do something about
1: it. It is a corrupt racket, and I think you explain it well, Congressman. And I know there's uh, another bill that is moving forward called the SCOTUS. Ethics recusal and transparency bill that may help a bit in that in that regard. But I'm wondering, does this uh, this expansion bill? Because to me, this seems to be the most immediate concern. You know, by way of of my own transparency here, I see expansion is the only way out of this mess that I think we're in that's going to get worse, particularly with more v. Harper uh, to be heard in October, where that could basically overturn everything that we know about election laws, I- including allowing gerrymandered state legislatures to simply name whoever they want. As presidential electors, never mind how the voters voted, but it has been a year, more than a year, since you and your colleagues in the House and and a bunch of these uh, legal advocacy groups first introduced the simple one-page Judiciary Act to expand the court from 9 to 13. Has it made any progress since then, working through what is a democratically controlled House uh, or Senate, if not... What's the holdup, Congressman, Uh, you know, particularly since the Democrats, your party, could lose the the majority in the House after this November's midterms?
3: Well, I think that there's still a lot of work to be done to educate uh, my colleagues about the power that we have and the need for us to use the power that we have to unpack the court and put it back into a posture where it is, accountable to the the people of this country. Mm-hmm. Right now, our court is unaccountable. They don't even see fit to hold themselves to a code of conduct. Mm-hmm. All of the other judges, uh, federal judges and state and local judges, are bound by codes of conduct. But the United States Supreme Court is unique in failing and refusing to apply one to its own members. And so, therefore, we get to a point where we have a ethically bankrupt uh, Justice Clarence Thomas yep. uh, sitting on the bench sharing his duties with his lovely wife, uh, <laughs> Jenny, mm-hmm. uh, we have to educate uh, the people and we have to educate our colleagues about the need for reform of the judicial branch. I find um, it... Most Most people believe that the judicial branch is devoid of politics, but we know that uh, politics is what has built this current Supreme Court, and a lot of the uh, remaining federal judiciary has also been packed with Mm -hmm. these uh, right-wing extremist judges, and so we've got to go about the business of unpacking the court...
1: Well, and that's why it seems, especially uh, after this last term, and I rattled off a a bunch of these just absolutely radical extremist, I see them as activist uh, uh, rulings by this court, it would seem to be crystal clear at this time that something needs to be done and that expansion of the court is the only way to avoid, you know, what you have described as generations of this madness continuing. Why? Why? I guess I'm having trouble uh, grappling with the idea that your own colleagues, even in the House, Speaker Pelosi, that they don't understand the necessity of this. Never mind getting it through the, the Senate and the filibuster there. Uh, do you have Shall I presume the reason Speaker Pelosi has not allowed this to come up for a vote, this one simple paragraph to expand the court? Because she does not believe there will be enough support even from Democrats right now for this uh, expansion?
3: Yeah, I think our House leadership does a great job of positioning us to win uh, the upcoming elections. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, in a, we are in a political moment when the future of our democracy and our freedoms are at risk. Uh, they are on the table, as as I said mm-hmm. in that clip that you uh, mm-hmm. that you ran. But uh, so I, I definitely appreciate uh, the foresight of of our leadership. But the Judiciary Act, if it's not passed during this, ses- this session of Congress, we're going to refile it and, and and look to pass it in the next session of Congress. But I'll tell you, last week. I filed some new legislation Mm -hmm. which would have an impact on the Supreme Court, and perhaps it will be more palatable to uh, my colleagues. Uh, It is the uh, Supreme Court Tenure Establishment and Retirement Modernization Act, Mm -hmm. also known as the Term Act, Mm -hmm. and it would establish an 18-year term limit for Supreme Court justices. And so that means that we, if that legislation passes, and it needs to pass along with the Judiciary Act to expand the court, yep. we, we don't really need justices uh, letting the uh, grass grow under their feet and becoming insulated and removed from accountability from the public, old and set in their conservative ways, and perhaps even... Uh, ethically, or perhaps even morally corrupt, uh, sitting on the bench, but immune from being removed uh, by any means other than uh, impeachment and conviction. Mm -hmm. And we know how difficult that is, having witnessed the saga twice with Donald Trump. Very difficult to impeach and convict and remove. A uh, president or a uh, federal judge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to impose time limits on them uh, would uh, infuse new blood into the judiciary, new thinking, uh, keep things um, uncluttered from uh, conservative, uh, yeah, from, from conservatism. And, and I mean, you can appoint a conservative judge, but uh, that judge's views would have to uh, uh, end up being subject to uh, being replaced by another judge at the end of that judge's uh, tenure. Uh, So this way we kind of give every president the opportunity to appoint new blood Mm -hmm. into the Supreme Court, keep the Supreme Court from, uh, as I say, getting old, stale, Mm -hmm. and rotten, it, as, as it is now.
1: It looks like, uh, yeah, the Supreme Court Term Act would establish regular appointments of Supreme Court justices in the first and third years following a presidential election as the sole means of Supreme Court appointments. That sounds smart. That way, I guess everybody, uh, all presidents, you know, get get a few shots at it. Does that mean, would that mean if it passed, let's say we got lucky and it all went through in the next month or two? Would that mean that some of these uh, uh, justices who have been on the court for longer than 18 years, would they be essentially done as soon as they were then uh, replaced?
3: Exactly. Starting with uh, yours truly, uh Uh, The Honorable Clarence Thomas Yes,
1: let me ask you about him In the short time that I have left here Uh, You know, and you you Referred to this in recent months A lot of uh, We've heard a lot about direct involvement Of activist Justice Clarence Thomas's activist wife, Ginny, into Donald Trump's efforts to steal the 2020 election. And aside from uh, years of what I see as the uh, Thomas's documented corruption on all sorts of things and his obvious failure to recuse himself from cases involving Trump's election, attempted election theft and, and his presidential papers, which might have included documents from Thomas's own wife. Is there anything that prevents, Congressman, that prevents the Judiciary Committee or your own subcommittee on the courts from calling in Justice Thomas or his wife, Jenny to offer under-oath testimony about all of this?
3: I tell you, if Hank Johnson was the uh, top leader in the House, he would certainly um, be looking at the landscape. He would understand that the January 6th committee is doing its work. It has a um, a, a um, confirmed ultra-Republican on the January 6th committee who's mm-hmm. doing an awesome job, by the way, Liz yeah. Cheney. Yeah. And um, Hank Johnson, if he were leading the House, he would recognize that that January 6th committee has a lot of uh, jurisdiction and power. And is getting to the bottom of what happened on January sixth and before uh, the and the run up to January sixth. He would understand that Liz Cheney is probably in love with uh, Justice uh, Thomas, Thomas and this right wing majority yeah. on the Supreme Court, and doesn't want to see anything happen to it. And so I would want my I would want my chair of the January 6th committee to be able to work with the Republican counterpart, Liz Cheney, so that they could get to the bottom of January 6th, and I wouldn't want anything like hearings in someone's subcommittee, in the Judiciary Committee, Mm. to detract from my ability to get to the truth of what happened on January 6th and the run-up to it, which implicates um uh Justice Thomas and his lovely wife
1: uh-huh. and they
3: and we know that uh Liz Cheney has said that I want to hear from her
1: uh-huh,
3: and so Hank Johnson, if he was leading he would he would be awaiting anxiously the final report of the uh January sixth committee, and uh, that would be the priority
1: and and then. Would you be able to ask Hank Johnson uh, after that report came out, would you be able to remind him that he does lead the chairs, the subcommittee on courts and ask him, is there anything after that January 6th uh, that would prevent him from calling in a sitting Supreme Court justice and asking for testimony under oath? There's no separation of powers issues there or anything like that. Is there
3: I tell you if 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 I'm the speaker and I know Hank Johnson and how intent he is uh-huh. at asserting the jurisdiction of his subcommittee uh-huh. I would know that his um his um willingness to delve deeply as deeply as he could into all of these matters is, is I mean is, is unrefuted we know that but yet I might have some other considerations that i might some other priorities that i might put in front of him and i may not allow the judiciary committee to Hmm. uh, go into that it just depends and so what i'm trying to tell you is the way that congress works and the way that uh that the judiciary committee as well as all other committees and their subcommittees work Uh there is a it's like a symphony that someone is put together, and you have a conductor, and everybody is going to play their part, and the conductor conducts the orchestra. And if you're not playing the right tune, mm-hmm. everything sounds off. Hmm. So, right. you know, that's kind of uh, even though you may not like the music, the the piece that you have been assigned to play, you've got to play that uh, piece and play it well. And then you can, can you can call the tune uh, you know, when you're allowed to do so.
1: I, I'm gonna have to call that Hank Johnson guy in here and hold his feet to the fire because <laughs> it sounds like the uh conductor <laughs> is keeping him from getting anything done and I'm not happy about that. Uh finally Well I tell you that yeah.
3: pressure from the from the audience out there clamoring for what it wants to hear. Yeah. Uh, has a lot of bearing on what the conductor decides he or she wants to play. Well,
1: that was exactly my final question. Uh, What can voters do to help rebalance the court, to help push all of this forward? Uh, Hank Johnson is putting out all of this terrific legislation. What does he need from We the People to help it along, please?
3: Well, we need the people to get out, And vote in November and vote for Democrats Democrats are putting people over politics whereas our Republican colleagues are putting politics over people you you saw that with the Senate vote on the burn pit legislation Mm -hmm. last week which Mm -hmm. finally passed this week but they put they put politics over people we're putting people over politics that's why we are about Good-paying jobs. We are about making our communities safe for people to live in, and and we are about preserving and protecting our democracy and freedom for all. Whereas our Republican friends are busily uh, taking away basic freedoms that we enjoy. They're doing it through legisl- They're doing it through their calls for a 50-state ban on abortion. If you elect them in November. They've already had their courts to take away a woman's reproductive freedom. That's what the Republicans are about. They're trying to take away our freedoms. This MAGA Republican Party of today, uh, we've got to make sure that they do not claim ownership of the House of Representatives or the Senate. So we've got to hold the House, and we need to hold the Senate and add at least two seats mm-hmm. to the Senate. So that we can overcome and finally get rid of this archaic racist filibuster mm-hmm. that keeps uh, legislation like voting rights from being able to pass. So we've got to go to the polls and elect Democrats in November, and then that puts us in a posture moving forward that we can have our we can have a president who will sign our legislation, and we'll continue to push for reform on the supreme court we can't get rid of the judge the the justices except through impeachment and so we've got to do something to reform the courts and the first thing is to expand the united states supreme court we we have the possibility of doing that if we elect democrats in november if Mm -hmm. we don't uh, then there's no chance that this legislation will pass.
1: Fair enough. I hope you will keep uh, pushing that Hank Johnson guy to push that orchestra conductor. To really do what needs to be done. Uh, and I'll, I'll work on the voters from here. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Congressman Hank Johnson representing Georgia's fourth district. And, uh, sir, if I might, yeah. if
3: I might say, if your, if your listeners would sure. go to, uh, courtreformnow.com. Okay. They can learn a lot more about all of the other legislation that we have that would reform the courts. And
1: thank you. You bet, courtreformnow.com Of course, you can get more uh, information At uh, the congressman's website Hankjohnson.house.gov And you can follow him On the Twitters at RepHankJohnson Congressman, always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend Let's let's do it again more often I look forward
3: to it, and thank you for having me
1: You bet, thank you, sir Thank you Boy, I really hope he gets in touch with that Hank Johnson (laughs) Yes, I do, too Yeah Uh, So I I think to uh, make sense of that is, as I heard that, Des, uh, he's saying, yeah, if it was up to him, he would absolutely call in Clarence Thomas, call him on the carpet, but that there are other people, the orchestra leader, if you will. Don't know if that's uh, Jerry Nadler heading up the the judiciary committee.
2: Or Nancy Pelosi, uh, or the Nancy Speaker of the, Pelosi, host, or, the, speaker or, of the or, House. Yes, exactly. What I, but but what was. struck me was when he said, clamor from the audience can influence the conductor. So where we are today, that I think speaks a lot as to what can be done today to make this move forward.
1: You trying to say start clamoring, people?
2: Start clamoring and vote. Vote like you mean it.
1: There's your clamor. That's your best. Your best clamor is your vote. Help others
2: no clamor to vote right. as well. And
1: then we'll and then we'll get at that uh, orchestra leader <laughs> or whatever we have to do. All right. Thank you very much. Quick, uh, quick break here. we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. Okay, while I was speaking with the congressman, all kinds of stuff breaking. Uh, <laughs> CNN says Donald Trump's lawyers are in direct communication now with the Department of Justice as the criminal probe into January 6 accelerates. Oh, and look, uh, conspiracy theorist and great big huge con man and liar Alex Jones uh, is found, uh, is ordered to pay over $4 million to the parents of a uh, child that was killed in the Sandy Hook massacre. There are still punitive damages, I believe, still to come. We have no time for that. (laughs) Or really anything else breaking today as we get to our latest Green News Report.
2: A week doesn't go by now when there isn't a devastating example of the deadly power of a changing climate. Back-to-back extreme storms show the U.S. is not ready for climate impact.
1: And while temperatures are reaching near records, it's the humidity that's making the conditions more dangerous.
2: Yep, climate change is also increasing humidity across the U.S. Big corporations launch ad blitz to sink Democrats' budget deal, plus... It's a chicken and egg thing, but we want to make sure that charging is ubiquitous. America's first ever national EV charging network is on its way.
1: All of those firsts and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Water isn't the only thing we're running out of. Clean air, quality soil, rainforests, wetlands,
0: the precious metals that make our phones work. We're even running out of sand. Sand, which may not seem important, but without it, you can't make concrete or glass, like for windows, so you can look outside and see the world ending.
1: (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, there's a lot of anxiety and concern on the Democratic side of the aisle and the U.S. Senate over this massive climate bill. As we wait to find out if Kirsten Cinema will come along with the rest of her party.
2: Yes, and big corporations are making their voices heard. They and their lobbying groups are spending big on a last ditch effort to stop the bill. The National Association of Manufacturers, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and the Coke Network of Dark Money Groups have launched a barrage of digital and TV ads in Arizona, urging Democratic Senator Kirsten Cinema to keep kill, or at least significantly maim the last chance climate (laughs) bill. Yep. While we wait for the fate of that, climate change impacts are waiting for no one. If it seems like the U.S. is getting pummeled with back-to-back extreme rain events, you're not wrong. An overnight storm deluged southern Illinois on Monday with more than a foot of rain in 12 hours. The third one-in-a-thousand-year rain event in the country in a week. It was part of the same stalled weather system that produced unprecedented rain and deadly flooding in St. Louis, and eastern Kentucky.
1: So it's not so much one in a thousand years, but... Three in the past week.
2: Exactly. Studies confirm that man-made climate change has increased the frequency and the intensity of rainfall in the U.S. since the 1950s. Other studies predict that extreme rainfall and flooding will get worse in coming decades if governments fail to cut greenhouse gas emissions that cause climate change. Emerging data increasingly links stalled persistent weather systems, both heat and rain, to warming in the Arctic, which made be slowing the jet stream that steers weather systems across the u.s this summer is repeatedly demonstrating that infrastructure designed for the 20th century is unable to withstand the changed climate of today let alone tomorrow yep. here's climate scientist dr michael mann in a recent interview on msnbc it's a reminder that climate change isn't a far-off threat. It's impacting us now and with greater magnitude than we predicted, say,
1: just a decade ago.
2: And as the saying goes, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. That, too, is increasing in the U.S. According to a new analysis by Climate Central, humid heat in the summertime has increased three times more than air temperatures since the 1950s. The report warns that when extreme heat combines with high humidity, it multiplies the health risks of heat waves, particularly for vulnerable populations like children and the elderly, especially in regions with little or no air conditioning. But some good news. The Biden administration launched a new initiative this week to boost assistance to local governments in low income communities, which tend to lack staff and capacity in order to help them apply for federal funding to replace their crumbling wastewater, drinking water and stormwater systems under Biden's massive infrastructure bill passed last year. The Biden administration will also reverse a Trump-era policy that opened up a million acres of public lands in California to new oil and gas drilling. It's part of a court settlement in a lawsuit brought by the state. Nice. Finally... It ain't sexy, but a national electric vehicle charging network is now on its way to becoming reality. This week, all 50 states, plus Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia, submitted their concrete plans to the federal government to build EV fast-charging stations under the infrastructure law. To qualify for federal funds, the stations must be fast chargers with multiple connectors that can reach an 80% charge in 10 minutes or less and will be placed at a minimum of every 50 miles on all major transit corridors with a special initiative to spread EV chargers in rural
1: areas. I disagree. I think that's very sexy. For much more on all of those sexy stories and more, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan, And this has been your Green News Report. Get your sexy on. Huh? I'm bringing sexy back. Get yeah. your sexy yo. Yeah. Get <laughs> sexy Get huh? your sexy on. We're going to make TV on. sexy, man. Yeah, they are. We're bringing sexy back. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, the delightful Congressman Hank Johnson of Georgia's 4th District, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible. No paywall. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help support our work so we can keep doing what we try to do every day over your public airwaves, sexy or not. You can drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am The Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Is it sexy now? Go